please open the Word of God to the letter of 1 Peter. We've been studying through the first epistle of Peter. And we'll be examining the first three verses of chapter 2 this morning. Chapter 2 begins with this very important word. Therefore. Do you see that? Therefore. Peter saying, in light of the fact that God's word, as he's just said at the end of chapter 1, in light of the fact that God's word gives life, we are born again through this living, enduring word. And in light of the fact that God's word gives life and remains forever. Peter says, therefore, respond. Therefore, we are compelled to respond. Respond to this word of God. And your response to God's word will have everything to do with how you grow or do not grow in your Christian life. You know, when we see a two-year-old acting like a two-year-old, you know what that looks like. Sometimes we smile, sometimes we get frustrated, right? But in the final analysis, we know that's a two-year-old. Two-year-olds are going to do what two-year-olds do. But when we see an adult acting like a two-year-old, what do we say? (laughs) We say, grow up, as if we had a choice. And the fact is, all of us need to grow up. We all need to grow up, the Bible teaches, to be more like Christ. God is calling his people to grow to be more like Jesus, to be like himself. We saw from chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, that God has redeemed us and called us to be holy, even as he is holy. And now he's encouraging us to grow to that extent, to grow to be more like Jesus. So we're going to be examining how to grow up this morning. Let's stand and read our text from the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. There we read, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. That's the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. And let's ask our Lord to Help us and to speak to us from his word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, our good and gracious Lord, we thank you that you have not left us without direction this morning, but you are the God who speaks and you are the God who personally knows each and every one of us. You know more about us than we know about ourselves. So we ask that in your wisdom and out of your knowledge that you would give us knowledge that you would give us a greater understanding of where we are in our relationship to you, that you would give us a greater motivation to grow and to be more like you. Father, you know the things that prevent us from doing that, the things that are really impossible apart from your grace to let go of, and so I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a pruning work in our life, that you would nourish us and give us nourishment from your truth this morning, that we can grow to be more like you. This we ask and we desire in the name of your Holy Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, in some cases, personal growth is really a choice. At least in many cases, growth involves, it demands your choice. Christian author Tim Hansel tells 
this following story. It's a story of a close friend of his who was asked back to a 40-year high school reunion. And by the way, this was long before uh, the advent of social media. And so Tim says that for months his friend saved money to take his wife back to this place and the people he'd left for decades before. And the closer the time came for the reunion, he became more excited thinking of all the wonderful stories he would hear and the changes and the accomplishments that his old friends would tell him. One night before he left, he even pulled out his old yearbooks, read the silly statements and the good wishes for the future that students had written to each other. And he wondered if any students had encountered this Christ in the way he had. He wondered if any students had encountered this Christ who had changed him so profoundly. Well, the day came to leave And Tim says, I drove him to the airport, and their energy was almost contagious. I'll pick you up Sunday evening, and you can tell me all about it, I said. Have a great time. Finally, Sunday evening came around, but I watched. I watched them as they got off the plane, and my friend seemed almost despondent. I almost didn't want to ask, but I finally said, well, how was the reunion? Tim, the man said, it was one of the saddest experiences of my life. Good grief, I said, more than a little surprised. What happened? It wasn't what happened, Tim, but what didn't happen. It has been 40 years. 40 years. And they haven't changed. They had simply gained weight, changed clothes, gotten jobs, but they hadn't really changed. And what I experienced was maybe one of the most tragic things I could ever imagine about life. For reasons I can't fully understand, it seems as though some people choose not to change. And so Tim writes, there was a long silence as we walked back to the car. On a drive home, he turned to me and said, I never, never want that to be said of me. Tim, life is too precious, too sacred, too important if you ever See me go stagnant like that. I hope you give me a quick, swift kick where I need it. For Christ's sake, I hope you'll love me enough to challenge me to keep growing. That should be the prayer of us all. Because we all need to grow. Peter tells us in this paragraph that we must earnestly desire God's word. It's interesting that in verses 1 through 3, there's a single command, once again, just like our previous paragraph. He's told us in the previous chapter to conduct ourselves in fear and to love one another fervently. That was his last command. But now he tells us here to eagerly desire, to long for the word, that's the word of God. And Peter explains that his whole purpose for giving us this command is so that we may grow by it. That is, we may grow by the word of our God. Today, we're not talking about physical growth. We all know what that looks like. Uh, Maybe some of us are wishing we would not be growing uh, physically anymore. But Peter's not talking about physical growth. He's talking about spiritual growth. He's talking about spiritual growth. That is, where you stand in your walk, in your relationship with God. That's what spiritual growth is all about. Where do we stand with our Lord? Has ever, anyone ever said to you, grow up? You know, or maybe you told somebody else that, you know, grow up. That's not a, a good thing, right? Not a compliment. Peter wants us to grow up. 
But he's not just saying grow up. He's intending to show us how to do that, which I'm very thankful for. He wants us to grow up, to live like Christ, to love like Christ, as he said in chapter 1. But he doesn't just say grow up, he tells us how we are to grow up. And the key, I believe, of this paragraph is that if you belong to Jesus Christ, you must choose to grow by the word. You must choose to grow by the word. And our text raises three choices that you must make in order to grow by the word. First, the first choice is prepare yourself to receive God's word. Prepare yourself to receive God's word. Verse 1, Peter writes, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. The language here, putting aside, is actually pretty common in the New Testament. Paul, the apostle, uses the language here often, such as in Ephesians 4, where he says, in reference to your former manner of life. Now, he's writing to Christians, and he says, in reference to how you used to live before you were a Christian, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in, according, uh, in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. What does this mean? Well, probably not long ago, you made a decision to put aside some clothes that were, well, not so fresh, um, not so clean, and you decided to put on a fresh change of clothes. And you prepared yourself to come and appear here in church before others. And what Peter's saying here is, is pretty much just that. That's the language here of the put off. You've prepared yourself. You've put off dirty clothes, not so fresh clothes, to appear before others, to, to really see and be seen, to speak with others and to be spoken to. But now, Peter wants us to think about this. Don't forget to prepare yourself to hear from God. Don't forget to prepare your, yourself to appear before God who meets with us in his word. And the preparation Peter's concerned about here then is a moral preparation. <laughs> it's a moral preparation. It's one that's to take place in the heart. Actually, James, in his epistle, in James 1.21, makes the same connection. Like Peter, James describes a moral preparation for receiving God's word. He says, therefore, putting aside, look how familiar this sounds, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted. You see, James, like Peter, knows that we can't receive the word unless we prepare our hearts morally. We need to do something about sin, about selfishness. And it's not as easy, this moral preparation, as putting aside dirty clothes, but it is no less important. Or, or it is certainly more important. It's no less real a matter. So how are you to prepare your heart? What must you put aside? Well, Peter gives you five ways that you must prepare your heart for receiving God's word. First, to receive God's word, you must put aside all malice. Malice is the intention or desire to do evil. And in criminal law, investigation is made to discern whether there was any malice involved in a person's behavior. Was there any wrongful intention? And the courts recognized that there is... Where there's malice, malice increases, typically, the guilt of an offense. This is a serious deal. Well, we may not be convicted on a criminal count, and so we're not being tried or, or the, the examined for malice, 
Maybe because we don't act it out. But we don't have to act it out, and yet all the while, we can be angry and vengeful. We can have sour, bitter thoughts about somebody who hurt us, who wronged us. And of course, our society will tell you, well, did you actually hurt the person? Did you lash out at them? No? Okay, no big deal. What are you concerned about? That's not a problem. But the Bible teaches this. Listen, 1 John three fifteen. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Wow, that's pretty strong. Yeah. What did Jesus have to say about this? Well, to a very moralistic audience like our own, who was all about virtue signaling and, and you know, wearing their virtues on their sleeves, Jesus said this. He said this to them. You may not kill anybody, but Jesus himself explained that angrily calling someone a fool or a good-for-nothing out of malice. He said that evil intention, that anger in your heart, that's murdering someone within the confines of your very thoughts. Wow. God says hatred toward others, even if it's concealed in our mind, that's a problem. He says it's a serious moral problem because he knows about it. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. You're not going to grow in your relationship with God until you're willing to cast aside those malicious thoughts. You can read your Bible, but you will not grow by it unless you put aside your malice. God is very concerned with what occupies your mind. He created your mind. He calls you to love him with the mind and to love others, even with the mind. Imagine that. Secondly, Peter tells us if we are to receive God's word, we must put aside all deceit. All deceit. And the word for deceit here is really the idea of guile. It's dealing dishonestly with other people. But interestingly, Peter will use the same word again down in verse 22. You see there where he says of Christ, he committed no sin, nor was any deceit. Same word. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Jesus was without any deceit. He is pure truth. And the bottom line is, if we're not revealing the truth to others, it's like Peter saying, how do you expect that God is going to reveal the truth to you? You want to receive truth from God's word? Cast aside deceit. All deceit and be truthful. Thirdly, Peter says, to receive God's word, you must put aside hypocrisy. Jesus used this word hypocrisy to describe the Pharisees. I think most of us are at least aware of that. He said of these, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Well, they were great actors. They would look good here. They would have us all fooled that they loved God, that they really worshiped God because they did so with their lips, but it wasn't the condition of their heart. And so Jesus called them hypocrites. The word hypocrite comes from a Greek word for actor. It's the actor that would use various masks to portray his emotions. And so Jesus was saying, you're great actors and your worship is nothing more than a drama. It wasn't a compliment. If you want something real, even this morning from the word of God, Peter's saying you need to get real with God. You want God to be real with you? You need to be real with God. You need to be real with others. God likes to shoot straight with us. He has no problem doing so. That's why many people hate the Bible, by the way. But when we go to church or we are around God's people, it's easy sometimes to wear a mask, isn't it? It's the mask that says, I love God. 
I'm all put together. We know the I'm all put together mask. Well, if we'll take off the mask, if we will be willing to lay aside the costume and be real with God and His people, we are in a great place, having prepared our hearts to hear from God. God is a real message for us, and we can learn His will for our life. Fourthly, to receive God's word, you must be willing to put aside envy. Put aside envy. Remember Cain? Remember Cain in the Bible? Cain who ended up murdering his brother Abel? Cain was envious, the scriptures tell us. He was envious of his brother Abel. And on account of his envy, Cain never got anywhere with God, did he? Do you know that God pursued Cain? God spoke to Cain, but Cain never heard from God. He never entertained this relationship with God. He was never impacted by this. He didn't hear the voice of God or care for it because he hadn't properly prepared his heart by casting aside envy. What about you? God has spoken to you. God is speaking to you. But if you're so busy coveting, if you're, if you're looking at someone else and, and at he or her and, and what he or she has for skills and their material possessions or their spouse or their uh, job or whatever, with envy, with coveting in your heart, you're not going to hear from God. You need a heart that's content, a heart that's grateful, coming to the Lord, thanking Him, asking Him to receive from His truth. And so if you come to God's heart with envy, you're not prepared to hear from God. Fifthly, Peter adds, to receive God's word, you must put aside all slander. If you're going to receive from God's word, you're going to have to quit using your tongue to cut others down. Actually, uh, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only a word that will build someone up. That's the kind of language that God wants us to give out. Don't expect, it's like Peter saying, don't expect God will speak to you from his word if you're speaking evil of those he's made. Now remember, Peter's just commanded us in chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, verse 22, to love one another. We are to love one another with a selfless, fervent kind of a love. And so it's no coincidence that each one of these five sins that he's calling us to put aside directly undermine our love to one another. In fact, each of these sins threatens to destroy our Christian community. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. And in order to genuinely grow closer to one another and ultimately to God by growing in your understanding of and obedience to his word, you're going to have to kill these sins. If you don't kill these sins, these sins will kill your love for God and your love for others. And in the same way, if you don't kill these sins, Peter's saying if you don't put them aside, they're going to kill your love for God's word. Well, that shouldn't be a surprise for us. You can kill your sin this morning or these sins will kill your love for God's words. It will then kill your growth by God's word. So we have a choice to make. We can have our sin. We can have our pleasures. We can have the things that make us feel good about ourselves or whatever. Or we can be very vulnerable. We can humble ourselves. We can get those things right. And we can have the word of God once again. But we have to make a choice. I heard a, about a man from Tennessee who claimed to have worn the same black t-shirt for Five years. <laughs> Five years. He wore the same black t-shirt. Now, I don't know if that's true. And that kind of caused me to raise an eyebrow until I read about another guy from Colorado who claimed he wore the same shirt 
every day for 15 years. You know, that, that really is surprising. Well, just imagine now, you wouldn't want a guy, at least claiming that, to come and lounge on your couch in your living room. Not with those dirty clothes on. You'd say, no, no, first you need to put that aside and put on something clean. That's just offensive to us. We want people to prepare themselves somewhat, um, to put off the dirty stuff, put on something fresh before you appear before us, before you enter into our presence, at least into our home. But Peter's commanding us to put aside what is offensive to God. Because he's saying the whole point is you want to come to him. You want to come into his presence. You want to hear from him. So you need to prepare your heart by laying something aside. And we all know this. Every day we prepare ourselves for certain occasions. And if you have something on your calendar, and it's a very special occasion, maybe you're going to meet before somebody that is very special. Uh, Well, what do you do? You want to certainly, at least thing you want to do is put on a fresh pair of clothes. No one has to tell you that. We just know better. But brothers and sisters, what are we doing when we come to the Word of God, do we think about preparing our hearts, even this morning? Do we put aside something that displeases the Lord for the sake of hearing Him? When we open our Bibles, we are to be expecting to meet from God, to hear Him speak to us. He is the God who speaks. We want to grow in our walk with Him, and if we desire to see that happen, then we must prepare. We must prepare by meeting God on his terms, by the conditions that he's given us here. Hey, lay that aside. Change those clothes, he says. Put that aside, because that displeases me. So the first choice you must make to grow by the word is prepare yourself to receive God's word. The second choice you must make is to prioritize God's word in your life. Prioritize God's word in your life. Peter says putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, verse 2, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. Now this uh, verb, to long for, is a word that means to strongly desire. To strongly desire. And it's a command. Peter's commanding you to strongly desire the word of God. Interesting. Because some weeks ago I preached on Psalm 37.4, remember? And we talked about strongly desiring God. Strongly delighting and delighting in the Lord. And we said, we can't simply make ourselves do that, can we? We can't make ourselves enjoy God. We don't have direct control over our feelings. But what we did see from the Word of God is that we can choose to pursue delight in God. And that's absolutely what the psalmist means in Psalm 37.4. Well, the same is true of our appetite for God's word. You might not be able to make yourself delight in the Bible. You might not enjoy reading the Bible. And at least directly speaking, there's nothing you can do about that. But you can do this. You can choose to pursue delight in the Bible. And it all comes down to this. One word, priorities. It all comes down to your priorities. Peter knows You can't change how you feel about the Bible, but his point is by commanding you to long for God's word, this is very practical. It has to do with treating God's word as your priority. And I want to show you that verse 2 implies two reasons that you must prioritize God's word in your life. First, Peter's saying you can't live without it. He says, like newborn babies, you need to long for the pure milk of the word. Peter likens his Christian readers to newborns, newborn babies. We've all seen newborn babies 
And by this analogy, by the way, Peter's not suggesting his readers were all uh, here new Christians, new believers in Christ. Sometimes that is an analogy that will be used in Scripture. But here, Peter's just recognizing, he's using this analogy to recognize how dependent we all are. Regardless of how long we've been a believer in Christ, we are all dependent on the Word of God. And we ought to have an attitude toward it, he's saying, like newborns have to milk. Any parent can appreciate this, especially. So when you have a child, uh, they don't come into the world with an education. They don't come into the world even knowing how to speak. They don't come into the world even knowing who they are. Imagine that. Newborns don't come with any defense mechanisms. They are completely, uh, we could say they're the most entirely pathetic and helpless of all creatures on the planet when they're born. They don't have any uh, armor. (laughs) They're vulnerable all over. They can't see. They can't move. They can't bite. They have no claws, no teeth, no stinger. Though you do have to... uh, wonder about what they can do in a diaper. That, that is, that's another story. But seriously now, newborns can't even feed themselves. They are entirely dependent. And so we, we look at newborn babies, and the image here, I believe, that Peter is conjuring to mind, is, uh, that he wants us to have, is this image of complete helplessness, this complete, utter dependency. More than any other species, a human baby enters the world completely dependent upon its parents for every physical need. And this relationship or reliance, it continues for many years. But here's the thing. For all their weakness, for all their helplessness, there's one thing newborns can do. And they do it very well. And they don't need you to teach them. They can cry. Newborns can cry, and they will cry, and they will cry passionately and persistently for milk. That's what they want, and they will let you know. They will teach you a thing or two when it comes to that. For all that newborns don't understand about life, this much is plain. They know when the tank is empty, and they will let you know, and they want you to know that the whole world is coming to an end, and they will raise hell if you don't give them that milk. They mean business. And you know how it is, that baby's screaming so loud you can't hear anything else in the world, that's all that's going on in your life. But the instant that newborn is back on the milk, you know what happens a miracle? They're perfectly at rest. And suddenly they got that little halo above their head once again. Because that newborn longs for the milk. Peter says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. Peter likens God's word to the milk we need. Now, by milk, Peter, again, doesn't mean truth for beginners. He's not saying, oh, this is just elementary stuff. The Bible does sometimes use that analogy, uh, milk versus meat in the word. But here, the milk of the word is for all of us at all stages in our Christian life. He's simply talking about that, like newborns, which we cannot live without. Can you see that little newborn in your mind's eye? passionately, persistently, unreservedly crying out for milk. Oh, that God would give us, as his people, that passionate, persistent, unreserved desire, that heart cry for a word from him, for guidance from him. As alarming and annoying as it can be, and again, if you've had babies, you know how this is, right? It's just so alarming, and it's annoying. And those babies cry for milk. But as alarming and annoying as it can be, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That our Creator designed newborns 
They don't have to be taught how to do it. They know how to cry for milk. You know why? Because God knows they need it. God knows they need it. They can't live without it. They can't live without milk. And Jesus said, you can't actually live without the word of God, which God has dispensed to you. Citing from Deuteronomy, Jesus said in Matthew 4, he says, man cannot live by bread alone. Did you get your breakfast this morning? Maybe you skipped breakfast, but did you get something to eat last night? Something yesterday? Something last week? Surely. We don't usually need people to remind us to eat our food, but Jesus says you can't live by bread alone. You must subsist by the word of God. He says, we must live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God's word is called the word of life because it's the word that sustains our life. Philippians 2, 6. David prays to God in Psalm 119.25. He says, my soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. He's saying, literally, give me life again according to your word. The scriptures give us life. David understood that. Do you see God's word as your lifeline? Do you long to know the scriptures that you might know God and experience his new life? You should. Prioritize the word, Peter's saying, because like a newborn baby, you can't live without it. You must be utterly dependent upon the word of God because in actuality, as a Christian, your life is. And also, though, he's saying, prioritize the word of God because you can't grow without it. Peter says, verse 2, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it, by the word of God, you may grow in respect to salvation. And so Peter's pressing the analogy a bit further. Not only must we crave God's word as newborns crave milk, but we must grow by that milk. Just like a a newborn will observably grow. I mean, they, they do. It's amazing. Just this liquid substance. And that's all they need. And they grow by it in the same way if you are consistent, if you are faithfully receiving the nutrition of God's word, guess what? You will be observably growing in your walk with God. Milk carries all the nutrients necessary for a newborn's growth. In an article from Life Science titled, What If I Ate Only One Type of Food?, This article recounts the following. According to Joe Ann Hetner, a nutrition consultant at Stanford University School of Medicine and former national spokesperson for the American Diabetic Association, choosing to eat only one fruit, one vegetable, or grain would lead to organ failure. Consuming only one meat would eventually force your body to start munching on your own muscles. And if you stuck solely to almost any one food besides fruit, you would develop a serious case of scurvy. The article goes on to explain how no single food carries all the nutrients that we need to sustain our growth in human life. But there's one exception. The article concludes, however, there is one food that has it all, the one that keeps babies alive. The only food that provides all the nutrients that humans need is human milk, Hetner said. Mother's milk is a complete food, a complete food. We may add some solid foods to an infant's diet in the first year of life to provide more iron and other nutrients, but there's a little bit of everything in human milk. There's only one substance on earth nutritious enough to sustain human life and to give growth, proper growth, and that is milk. How fitting, then, that the Apostle Paul told us in 2 Timothy 
3, 16 and 17, that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Complete. Equipped for every good work. Paul was saying everything you need for spiritual growth can be found right here. God's word is a complete food. All the nutrients you need for a relationship with God, it's right there. God's word is sufficient for your spiritual growth. The nutrients are contained in the Bible. Now, that's not to say that all you need to do is read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. That's not true. Uh, Maybe you know that song, right? (laughs) That was a song I heard in church, uh, children's church one time. Uh, That's not true. Because you can read your Bible without actually doing what it says. Am I right? (laughs) But it's by reading the word and doing what it says, like James 1 tells us, that is a secret to growth. If you will hear the word, if you will listen to the word, and you'll put it into practice, you will grow. If you take what God's saying this morning and put it into practice, you will experience growth. The word of God enables us, Peter tells us, as he, he specifies the kind of growth he's talking about, the word of God enables us to grow in respect to salvation. Do you see that? The little phrase in the Greek has been variously rendered, In the New American Standard, it is grow in respect to salvation. The NIV has grow up in your salvation. Uh, This is talking about your salvation. It's suggesting Peter's describing your personal experience of salvation in Christ. The New Living Translation expands this idea. It says, so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Remember, Peter's already told us back in chapter 1, verse 3, That we are spiritually reborn. How? According to God's great mercy. So we are not reborn by knowing more of the Bible than somebody else. I mean, you can memorize the whole Bible. That doesn't make anybody a regenerate follower of God. Remember Nicodemus? He was a teacher in Israel. And Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, except you are born again. You can't enter into the kingdom of God. John chapter 3. Nicodemus needed to be born again by God's mercy. So Peter's not saying here that by prioritizing God's word in your life, you will be more justified in your standing with God than someone else. Justification, this experience of new birth, right? This is a moment when God instantaneously declares the sinner righteous. How can God do that? On the basis of Jesus' substitutional life and death. That's God's prerogative as creator of the earth, as the one who stepped in to provide an atonement for human sin. But Peter's saying here, he's not talking about justification. He's saying when you treat God's word with the respect it deserves, when you prioritize it in your life like a newborn prioritizes their mother's milk, he's saying, man, you will grow. You will grow to experience life the way God intends for you to. All that great salvation we learned about, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, God's saying, you will begin to experience the glories of that salvation. Well, if God is commanding you to strongly desire his word as that which you can't live without, grow without, what is to be your response? You must prioritize his word in your life. You must treat his word as your lifeline, your source of nourishment. I think practically that's worth saying, get a personal copy of the Bible. Check it out. Begin studying the book. Begin studying the word. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be in the habit of skipping meals. That's not good for our physical health. 
But neither should we be in the habit of skipping the word of God when it's preached, when it's being taught. We shouldn't skip days where we're looking at it, but we should meditate upon the word of God daily, like Joshua 1.8 tells us. Get a personal copy of the Bible, read it every day, and find a church that faithfully teaches the word of God and hang on every word. That's what we exist for, right? Uh, we, we teach the Word of God every Sunday morning like this, and we preach it Sunday school. We're talking about it in our community group. We discuss the Word. And we always tell folks, when you don't understand something from the Bible, you can always ask around and get answers. But as you choose to prepare your heart, as we saw verse 1, putting aside, put aside that mouse, put aside those evil thoughts, put aside those things that you know displease God. And you begin then choosing to prioritize the word of God, respecting the fact you can't live and grow without it. You know what will happen? You will find the Holy Spirit will give you a new desire, a new appetite for his word. And it's a glorious thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's what we all need. That's what Peter is commanding us to do. Strongly desire the word so that we can grow by it. To grow by the word, you must choose to prepare yourself to receive the word and you must choose to prioritize the word in your life But there's a third choice here implied in our text. And that is, to grow by the word, we must ponder God's goodness. Ponder God's goodness to you. Will you choose to do that this morning? Look at verse, uh, I'll start in verse 2. Peter says, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. But now he adds in verse 3, if, or we could even translate that conjunction, sense. If or sense you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. What does tasting the kindness of the Lord have to do with longing for his word? Well, Peter is supplying here the ground or basis of this command to long for God's word. He's telling us why, here's another reason why you ought to long for God's word. Namely, because you have. He's talking to Christian readers, people who have tasted. And he's saying, if or since you have tasted of God's goodness, therefore, on that basis, because of that reason, long for the word of God. Peter's reminded his Christian readers, chapter 1, verse 23, if you look back to verse 23 of chapter 1, that you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. How are we born again? Through the word of God. Specifically, through the truth of the gospel that we find revealed in scripture. We couldn't have a relationship with God. We wouldn't know how to deal with our sin, how to come to God and approach him in the name of his son, unless God had revealed that through propositional revelation. Through the words, the inscripted word of God that has come down to us. Peter's saying, have you tasted of the Lord's kindness then? If you have been born again and have tasted of the Lord's kindness to you, that is his salvation to you through his word, Peter's point is, man, recalling how you once experienced God's goodness in his word, that will draw you back again. Recalling how you once experienced the salvation of God revealed to you in his word, that will draw you back to his word. I know we're approaching lunchtime, so I'm I'm sorry that I do this to you, but Peter is dealing with food, okay? So this is all from the text. Our text is talking about food, but let me ask you, what is the best food? Just for a moment, think about it. What is the best food you ever tasted? So, getting hungry. Got it? Okay. All right. 
So if that's a local restaurant in your mind, hopefully, maybe I should tell you that. It's got to be local, right? It's got to be somewhere where it's accessible. If this is a local restaurant on your mind and you tasted something there that's just that kind to you, can I say, it's that good, it's that amazing, well, you're going to visit it again. As long as you can get there. So long as you have the means of getting there and obtaining this good food, this goodness you have tasted will draw you back again and likely again and again and again. And Peter's operating on the same principle. He's saying, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, you know what's good. And you want more of that. And he says, you know where to get it, don't you? It's from the word of God. So he's implying we must go back to the word then. Christian, has it been so long? Have you forgotten what it's like to taste the kindness of the Lord in his word? If so, this is a great reminder for you. You remember what's good? Remember where you found out about Jesus Christ? You experienced salvation? To the extent you carefully ponder the Lord's kindness to you in the gospel, in his word, you will be drawn back again and again to taste more of God's kindness in his word. But another principle here, just worth mentioning, is that what we've tasted before in God's word, what we've tasted before of the Lord's kindness is sure not to change in the future. You know, this is very encouraging. There's a pizza place that our family loves to order from. You know, we like pizza like most normal people. And, and I got to say, though, while we really enjoy the pizzas there, I don't, I don't understand why it's not always quite the same. It's a little bit frustrating. You know how it is? Maybe you order a dish somewhere. Maybe you order pizza somewhere. And sometimes just a little bit different. Sometimes maybe it's a little bit overcooked. My wife can tell you, too. I'm not really picky. I'm not like that kind of person. But sometimes it can be frustrating if what we've tasted and what we're expecting and what we're really craving isn't what we get when we return to where we got it the first time. But here's the good news. God doesn't change. His glory, his power, his goodness doesn't diminish the power of God's word and and its power to change your life hasn't diminished at all. And so the fact you have tasted God's goodness from his word is all the more reason to taste again his goodness from his word. In Psalm 34, 8, this is where Peter is really citing from, David says to us all, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who puts their trust in him. Taste, he's really saying, that is taste for yourself. See for yourself. Isn't taste something personal? You can't taste something for someone else. Come on. You can't. Taste is personal. David says, see for yourself. Taste for yourself and see for yourself what maybe others are saying, what I'm saying, David's saying. What? Taste what? See what? That the Lord is good. Taste the kindness of the Lord. You know, there's only two kinds of people listening right now. Those who have tasted that God is good and those who have not. Now, don't get me wrong. All of us have, in some measure, tasted that the Lord is good. We all have experienced the mercy and grace of God, our Creator. Even in the fact we are drawing breath right now. But, if you've never been born again, like Peter's described in chapter 1 of his letter, then you've not tasted the Lord's kindness, His saving kindness, in the way Peter's describing. Because that's what he's referring to. Have you entered into this gracious covenant with God through his son 
That is the eternal saving kindness every one of us needs to experience. This is the kindness Peter's talking about. This spiritual encounter is something every one of us needs. But how does it happen? Well, how can you taste of Christ's saving kindness? Not by my prayers, not by a priest, not by coming to church here and a sprinkling water on you, not by baptism, all right? Not by going through a new member's class or anything like that, but by choosing to get honest with God about your sin. By choosing to trust the Lord, turning from our sin and trusting completely in the sacrificial life and death of God's Son. If you will turn from your sin and, and from trusting your own goodness and instead will cast yourself on the goodness and mercy of God in Christ, you will taste and see the Lord. Our Lord is eternally good. Now to any who have already tasted this, you, you've already experienced that saving kindness of the Lord. Well, you've personally experienced the love, the mercy, the forgiveness of God in Christ that Peter would have in mind. And that's so amazing, right? You'll never forget it, right? You'll never be the same, right? Well, let me ask you one question. Where did you learn about that? I mean, where did you learn about saving mercy, the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ? Now, I'm sure for many of us, we're like, we heard it from a friend or whatever. But if we were to find where that all comes from, you know where it comes from? It comes from the Word of God the word of our Lord. It is by the word that we come to experience salvation. And so, Christian, if you have tasted the Lord is good, you need to keep that fact ever before you and you need to taste again and again and again and keep returning to the Lord's kindness by returning to his word. If you choose to carefully ponder, here's the point here, God's goodness to you as he's revealed in his word, you will not only long for his word, but you will continue growing by it. Christian, you must choose to grow by the word. You know, every one of us needs to grow. We all need growth. None of us has arrived, but the only way we're going to grow in our walk is by the word of God. And we've seen that that growth isn't automatic. It's not just being here this morning. Like James said, we can be hearers of the word, but if we don't act on it, if we don't actually make a choice to repair ourselves to receive the word, to prioritize the word in our life, to ponder God's goodness to us, we're not going to be experiencing the growth that Peter is calling us to. So may the Lord help us to take seriously his word.